Lord. Well, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5. We'll read the first 11 verses of the chapter. Our sermon text will be verses 6 through 11. That's Romans chapter 5. We'll read verses 1 through 11. Our sermon text will be verses 6 through 11. Listen to God's holy and inspired word. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, but God shows his love for us And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved By his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Amen. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we thank you for your great love. You made an exhibition of that love at the cross. Of Calvary, as your son poured out his lifeblood on behalf of sinful men and women like us from every tribe, nation, language, and tongue. We pray that you would help us today to taste and to see that you are good. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some of the most famous passages of Scripture contain glorious descriptions of the kind of love that God has for his people, the kind of love that God has for you. Perhaps the most famous passage is found in John 3.16, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. God loved the world in this way that he provided sinners with Christ Jesus the Lord. Or consider 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given to us that we would be called children 
of God. God's love for us is a theme that should be consistently playing in our hearts as believers. And his love for us is the theme at the core of these verses in Romans chapter 5. In fact, Charles Hodge in his commentary on Romans states that this sixth verse and the following verses to the 11th contain an illustration of the freeness and greatness of the love of God designed, he says, to prove the certainty of the salvation of believers. And that makes these verses, to borrow the language of another commentator, a most sweet ointment for our souls. These verses help us understand the way in which the love of God so profoundly distinguishes itself from human love. These verses help us comprehend how God's love makes itself so conspicuous, not simply through the vehicle of speech, with God saying, I love you but through action as evidence and testimony of that love that God has for you. If you look down at verse 8, which I think is the core verse of this passage, you can see what Paul says, but God. In distinction from the way that humanity acts, in distinction from the way that humanity loves, God demonstrates or makes an exhibition of his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the core of the gospel, isn't it? In John Trapp's commentary on Romans, he writes of this verse, Herein God exposes to us the tenderest bowels of his fatherly Compassion. If you are a Christian here today, you are one who is greatly loved by God the Father. And in these verses, we find a revelation of the heart of God in sending Christ not for the morally righteous, not for the good, but for sinners. Now, I want to begin this morning by covering this point God's love distinguishes itself in that he loved us in our fallen, pitiable condition. Let me repeat that. God's love distinguishes itself in that he loved us in our fallen, pitiable condition. If you scan the verses with your eyes, you can see that Paul uses four different terms to describe the condition that we were in outside of Christ when God loved us and sent Christ to die for us. Who were we? The first two terms that Paul uses are found in verse 6. He writes this, For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Those are the first two terms that describe our fallen, pitiable condition. While we were yet helpless and ungodly. And then in verse 8, Paul says, while we were still sinners. There's the third term. And then in verse 10, if while we were enemies, 
of God. So God's love distinguishes itself in that he loved us in our fallen, pitiable condition outlined by Paul as we were helpless, we were ungodly, we were sinners, and we were enemies of God. Now let's take apart each of those terms and explain them in turn. First, we were helpless. Maybe you've heard that proverb by Benjamin Franklin, God helps those who help themselves. Is that true? When it comes to salvation, when it comes to justification, what does, what does it mean when Paul says, when we were yet helpless? I read this morning from the ESV translation that says, while we were yet weak. But I've always appreciated the translation, while we were yet helpless, because if, if we're just weak, we might be able to move a finger to do something to help ourselves. But that's not what Paul has in mind in this passage. And helpless is a much better translation because it speaks of our complete inability to do anything to bring ourselves out of a state of condemnation, out of a state of wrath, into God's good graces. There was nothing that we could do, in other words, to help ourselves out of our miserable and wretched condition. We were incapable, we were powerless, we were impotent to help ourselves, but in that Condition, you see, God demonstrated his love for us by sending Christ to die. God helped us when we were helpless. What does Paul mean here when he says Christ died for the ungodly? That's the second term that Paul uses. Who are the ungodly? Ungodly people are immoral people. Ungodly people are depraved people. Ungodly people are people who are not religious. Now, you'll recall if you turn back with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 18. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, Paul writes this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And then Paul outlines in the rest of chapter 1 all of the ways that ungodly people live their lives. In verse 24, he says that ungodly people live in vile impurity in the lusts of their hearts. In verse 25, he says that ungodly people are idolaters who exchange the truth about God for a lie, and they worship the creature rather than the creator. In verse 26, Paul says that ungodly people are those who practice degrading passions, even including homosexual passions. In verse 28, ungodly people have a depraved mind. And ungodly people do what is not proper. And then he finishes the chapter by outlining this description of a life that is an ungodly sort of life in verses 29 through 32. 
And this is what Paul was saying, that this is the way that God's love is exhibited to the world. This was our condition outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. God did not find us morally righteous or morally pure. He found us morally wretched. But in that condition, he loved us. And he sent Christ to die for us. Now, Paul also says here, while we were yet sinners. And sinners has the connotation of those who rebelliously transgress and break the law of God. That's what we were. We were law breakers. Paul says in Romans 7 verse 12 that the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So whatever it means to be a sinner here in Romans 5 is to be the opposite of what the law is. If the law is holy, to be a sinner is to be unholy. If the commandment is righteous and good, then to be a sinner is to be unrighteous and vile. And this is what Paul wants us to think about as we read Romans 5. This is what makes God's love so conspicuous. God loved us in our lawless and law-breaking condition so that he sent Christ to shed his blood. And then finally, Paul writes that we were enemies of God. In verse 10, he says, while we were enemies. And that means that we were in an adversarial relationship, doesn't it? It means that hostility reigned between God and us on account of our sins. So not only was our moral character depraved, but because of our moral character, there was enmity between God and God's wrath hung over us. But note this, in that condition, being under his wrath, God makes an exhibition of his love in showing us Christ in giving us the gift of a son who would die for us at the proper time. And he proved it through reconciling us to himself through the work of Jesus, his son. In his commentary on Romans, Robert Haldane wrote this, it greatly enhances the love of God that he gave his son for us while we were yet his enemies. We were not on God's side when Christ shed his blood for us. Haldane writes, had we discovered any symptoms of willingness to obey him or any degree of love to him, his love to us would not be so astonishing. But that's what Paul's talking about in this passage, isn't it? The astonishing love of God. Remember 1 John chapter 4, by this the love of God was revealed in us that God has sent his only son into the world so that we may live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, when we step back from this, 
When we step back from analyzing our fallen condition and God's love for us in that fallen condition of being helpless, ungodly, sinners, and enemies of God, is it any wonder why Martin Luther wrote this? The love of God does not find, but creates what is pleasing to it. Did you hear that? The love of God does not find, but creates what is pleasing to it. There is nothing in us in our fallen condition for God to love, and yet Scripture so plainly reveals that in that fallen condition, He loved us so freely and so graciously, and that that love was the compelling reason behind Christ's entrance into this world, His taking on human flesh, and His shedding of His blood to bring many sons to glory. Too many Christians think that at the cross... Christ got the Father to love them. But what Paul is saying here in this passage is that God's love is actually the motivating factor that stood behind the cross and impelled Christ to go to the cross to die on behalf of the many. And isn't that good news? Isn't God's love astonishing? Now, the second point here that I want us to see is that God's love is distinguished when contrasted with human willingness to sacrifice. When I talk about human sacrifice here, I'm not speaking about human sacrifice in a cultic sense, like the Aztecs sacrificing their own to pacify the gods. When I talk about human sacrifice here, I'm talking about human willingness to die for another. God's love is distinguished when contrasted with the rarity of human examples of substitutionary action or willingness to die for others. And when we compare the circumstances, we find that to be the case. This is Paul's point in verse 7. If you look down at verse 7, for one will hardly die for a righteous person, though perhaps for the good person someone would even dare to die, but... God. So you see, Paul is clearly drawing a contrast between the rarity of examples of human self-sacrifice for another and God sending his son for us, for the church. Note the rarity that Paul speaks of. One will hardly die for a righteous person. This is something that would be uncommon today. A righteous person is someone who is morally upstanding and well-respected in society. And and Paul says it's conceivable that for a good person, namely someone who holds our affections on account of their kindness and their compassion and their beneficence, for that type of person, it would be conceivable that someone might dare to die. And history furnishes us with examples of this very thing. In John Trapp's commentary on Romans, he says, Lillo stepped between the murderer and King Edwin to intercept the deadly thrust. A common soldier lost his life at Musselboro Field to save the Earl of Huntley's life. So did Nicholas Rubish to rescue Prince Maurice at the Siege of Pista. Paul is saying, you can find examples of this in history, but they're rare. 
And a willingness to die is only contemplated for the morally distinguished in society, the most courageous of human beings. But just contrast that with God's love for a moment, his love in sending Christ for you. God's love reaches out to send Christ not for the righteous, not for the good, but for the scoundrel, for the perverse, for the wicked. God's love distinguishes itself in contrast from human willingness to die for others. Thirdly, and this is one of the reasons why this passage is such an overwhelming comfort for God's people, God's love distinguishes itself in that it makes our future secure. God's love distinguishes itself in that it makes our future secure. The love God has shown in the past grounds our confidence as we look forward to the day of future salvation. That's what Paul was saying in verse 9. If you look there, much more than having now been justified by his blood in the present, we shall be saved. That's in the future tense. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. And then Paul says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having now been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You can see how Paul is arguing from the greater act of bringing enemies to reconciliation to the future act that is now secure, what will be in the future. And this is why Paul uses two arguments from the greater to the lesser in this passage. Sometimes in scripture, there are arguments from the lesser to the greater. If God provides for the sparrows, if he provides for the birds of the air, will he not much more provide for you? But then there are arguments in scripture from the greater to the lesser. If God has done this, how much more will he then subsequently do this? So Paul wants you to use holy rationality here, holy logic. How much more will you be saved in the future from God's wrath now that you've been justified in the blood of Jesus the Son? You understand what he's saying. How, how could God's wrath touch you on the day of judgment when he will send forth Christ to judge the quick and the dead? How can God's wrath touch you on the day of judgment when in the Father's love he sent Christ to shed his blood to acquit you from all of your sins? If God would do this, he must also do that. And Paul wants you to be confident Christians for the future. You are not destined for wrath before the age to come. You are destined for salvation. If the love of the Father impelled Christ to die so that you might be justified now, his plan for you is not judgment to come. Christ saves us from that judgment. If he's loved you in this way, he will bring you all the way home to glory. How much more? How much more? Do you think like this? 
how much more now that we are reconciled to God with the enmity that once reigned between us, with that hostility being taken away through Christ's cross, now that we are no longer estranged, now that we are brought into friendly relations with God, now that we are reconciled to him, how will God not also much more do this in the future? Notice how Paul says, the agent through which we receive this reconciliation through the death of his son. God did not love you once to stop loving you in the future. He wants you to leave today. If you're in Christ today by faith, he wants you to leave knowing that God loves you now and he will love you then. He wants you to know that God did not reconcile you to cast you off. He did not love you once for that love to fail. Do you know that, brothers and sisters in Christ? And if God justified you, if he has acquitted you now, if he has reconciled you to himself through the blood of his precious son, Jesus, you are not destined for death anymore. You are destined for life in the age to come. And that's what Paul's talking about right here when he says we shall be saved by his life. Listen to John 14, verse 19. After a little while, the world no longer is going to see me, but you are going to see me because I live, you also will live. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verse 11. In Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Notice what Paul says here. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Do you hear that? If this is true, this must also be true as well. If God has loved us enough to reconcile us, we will receive the transformation of our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. We will receive resurrection life. We come now to our final point here. God's love distinguishes itself in that it is a source of constant boasting. God's love distinguishes itself in that it is a source of constant boasting. And that's verse 11. Notice what Paul says in verse 11. Not only is this so. You thought that was good. You thought that was great. Not only are verses 9 and 10 true, but he says we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So from verses 9 and 10, Paul moves from noting the certainty of future salvation coming in the resurrection. That's secure. But what about today? What do we do now in the present? Not only is that secure, but what is life characterized by until we die or until Christ comes again and raises us anew? It's the now. 
Notice how Paul was talking about that. The now of reconciliation has its outflow in boasting. Boasting. The love that God has for us while we were sinners and the love of God that sent Christ to shed his blood and establish justification and reconciliation and the love of God which renders the future certain, that same love of God today causes us to boast in him. Now, what does that mean? Because we're taught from a young age to boast is is a sin, right? Right? That pride is a sin. Well, that is true. But there is such a thing as holy pride. H-O-L-Y. There is such a thing as holy boasting. And what does it mean to boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ? This is what it means. It means to lift up the name of God in an exalted form and fashion and to say, I am boasting and placing all of my pride in God who has bought me with the precious blood of Jesus. All the confidence in the world can be placed in this God. That having been reconciled through Christ, in which God's great love is manifested, this life now becomes a life of constantly holding up the name of God on high. Of entering into this place of worship and saying, not to us, not to us, but to your name give glory. Salvation belongs to God and your blessings be upon your people. It means to speak. It means to be drawn out of darkness and then to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And again, who makes this all possible? Who makes a life of holy boasting in God, of staking our confidence in God? Who makes it all possible? Notice what Paul says here at the end. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the pronoun there? Our Lord Jesus Christ. He's ours. Is that the way that you think of Jesus? That he's yours? Just as we belong to him, so we can rightly say on the basis of God's love, if God sent Christ in love to die for me, then in faith, he's mine. And notice this, that present boasting in God is always and only possible through him, through the Lord Jesus that central figure of the gospel, the gospel which Paul says concerns God's son, born of David according to the flesh, declared to be the son of God in power through his resurrection from the dead. Isn't God's love amazing? He doesn't just say, I love you. He makes an exhibition of that love through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through Christ going to the cross. Christ becomes the very sun around which everything else in the Christian life orbits. Even today as we come to this table and say salvation belongs to the Lord. God's love is amazing. And the contrast of that love with human love is mind-boggling. 
And if you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, then you have to do what Paul says to do in this passage. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Not only for future salvation, but today, having experienced the the reconciliation of God, God has taken you a helpless, ungodly sinner and an enemy with him, and he has brought you into a state of good graces. Can you not say, I will speak with holy pride about this God who has purchased me with the blood of his own son? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love that you demonstrated at the cross of Christ. The gospel, your gospel, is a demonstration of your great love for men and women, sinners, ungodly, helpless, from every tribe and nation and language and tongue. Would you comfort us today And help us to boast in you, our God, today. To speak of your excellencies, of your mercy, of your love, of your might. Because to you belongs all glory for creation and redemption. We thank you, O Jesus, for being willing to take on flesh. We thank you, O Christ, for condescending to our need in order to bring many sons to glory. You became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, and you continue to love us today. Holy Spirit, would you convince us afresh of God's love for us in Christ Jesus? Would you work in our hearts this boasting and this worship that is to be the overflow of hearts that are grateful and thankful to you for pouring into our hearts the very love of God? We pray that as we continue to sing and that as we come to this table, that we would see this table as a table of love spread before us by you, O God, who sets a table before us in the midst of our enemies. We pray this all in Jesus' name.